0: We're back for part two in our series with Nick Nicolau on church data security. We'll dive into the policies and practical steps you can take to be sure you're protected. Informing, encouraging, and supporting your church. You're listening to the Excellence in Church Administration podcast from ECFA. Welcome back to another Excellence in Church Administration podcast from ECFA. Well, this is your host, Michael Martin, and we are excited to be back for part two of our conversation with our friend Nick Nicolau on the importance of securing and protecting your church data. So Nick just got done sharing with us why this is such an important topic in part one. So if you missed it, Hit the pause button now and go back to that episode. There were so many really helpful takeaways. It's definitely worth a listen. So Nick, um, maybe we'll pick back up right where we left off. So in addition to the leadership policies that you ended in part one, maybe you can get us started here with what should we be doing to secure and protect Uh, Our church data that we have learned is so valuable.
1: Thanks, Michael. It's great to be with you guys again. I am just thrilled to be doing something that helps ECFA help churches. So thank you very much for the privilege of doing that. Well, uh, an important piece of protection for church data is the firewall. Now, firewall is a device that protects your network from those on the outside who wanna do your organization harm. It protects from intruders, former staff or congregants or bots. Bots are little programs that scour the web looking for vulnerable systems and from from malware. It also protects those on the inside by filtering internet content. This helps prevent a congregant from accessing adult themed websites. that could be an uncomfortable distraction for others near them. Good firewalls are easily configured regarding website filtering. Something important to remember about a firewall is that uh, these solutions require an active subscription with the provider to help them identify new threats. The providers update their risk databases often to help keep your church protected when new threats occur. They update the database. These subscriptions really cannot be allowed to expire because doing so opens the church up to those who would try to do it harm. We had a client who called and they had been infected with malware. Uh, It was ransomware. And uh, I said, well, I'm surprised that that happened. Um, We have protections in place, like your firewall would have prevented it from getting in. And they said, Well, we uh, let that subscription lapse a couple of years ago. I said, Okay, well, that's easily resolved. We can get you back up to date on that. And then we went on from there to help them get over their ransomware infection. A firewall. If you think in your mind of the physical building that you're in, you've got a cable that comes in that is the internet connection, and it comes into the building and it connects to a box that's oftentimes provided by the cable uh, or telephone company. And uh, that might be called a router or a modem or something like that. The important thing is that the only thing that that connects to that's inside your building is the firewall that means that all communication from any device connected in any manner inside your system inside your building has to pass through the firewall in order to get to the internet and that's how we protect you
0: perfect well that's a good visual so you're saying point number one is make sure that firewall is in place and that you keep up with your subscriptions, (laughs) I guess take away from some of those lessons learned. Um, you know, maybe there are others that are out there listening that are like me and that are not maybe as technical. I I think one of those questions that probably gets thrown around is okay. So that's, that's an important thing to have, but you know, are there some that are better than others? You know, can you weigh in, help us sort through all the different options that are out there?
1: Um, my firm works hard to try and identify the sweet spot of the feature mix, the capability, and the price of these devices. And we believe the best solution for most churches and ministries is a device that's produced from a company called SonicWall. Their models range in capacity and price, but the cost is reasonable, somewhere between depending on the size of the church $900 $900 and $5,400. Uh, and that would take you for from a very small church, maybe about 900 up to a very large church at $5,400 range. You can pay more for devices that can do more, but the additional features, those more expensive firewalls include, are rarely needed by or used by churches and ministries.
0: Okay. So, and Nick, too, maybe a follow-up question on that would be, what, what you're talking about in terms of a firewall, is that protecting um, just the organization and its employees, or in the case of a church, I mean, I think of all the people who are coming on that are there, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week, and they're accessing internet through Wi-Fi and all of that, is that, is that a protection that covers them as well?
1: If you set it up the way I, I tried to draw that that um, picture in your mind, yes, Because the only way to get to the Internet, regardless of how somebody is connecting, uh, whether it's Wi-Fi, whether it's cable, um, it has to go through the firewall before it can get out to the Internet.
0: Gotcha. Okay, And I think that'll be that'll be a really important point for the churches that are out there that are listening.
1: Yeah, uh, they're great at helping in that. And regarding Wi-Fi, it's important for churches to not. Just go down to the local store, whatever kind of store it is, and buy Wi-Fi access points or radios that they find on the shelf in the store. Uh, Those devices that you can find on the shelf are consumer-grade models that will almost never perform at the level a church requires. One of the things that we like to say in IT is if you can find it on a shelf, you don't want it. Uh, Instead, you need to order, um, typically from an appropriate vendor, what we would call an enterprise spec. Here's what many churches don't realize when they set up their guest and staff Wi-Fi. The strategy that's required is almost the same as that that's setting up a convention center or a concert hall. Even though the requirements needed most of the time, like throughout the week are pretty low, the system has to be set up to handle the load of the church service crowd. Consumer grade solutions just cannot handle that kind of traffic. Hmm.
0: so what other uh, maybe speak to you know any security concerns that you guys see that are related to Wi-Fi?
1: Well, a good legal decision is to password protect the guest Wi-Fi and to require that the user Uh, accept a list of acceptable usage terms. However, most churches don't want to do that. Churches uh, choose to not do that because they want their Wi-Fi system to help communicate how open and approachable they are. So what we tell those that have made that decision is that at a minimum, they need to turn the guest Wi-Fi off when it's not needed. A good firewall like a sonic wall can do that on a regular schedule. Maybe turn the guest wi-fi off from 10 p.m at night till 5 a.m in the morning.
0: Huh.
1: There was a There was a church Michael in Missouri that uh, had their guest wi-fi on unprotected and 24 huh. 7. And uh, there was uh, somebody in the community, somebody in the area that would pull into their parking lot at night and using that guest Wi-Fi would distribute child porn. The FBI could tell where it was happening because they could see the IP address. So they did what they're required to do. They swooped in and uh, they confiscated every computer, including servers that the church owned because they needed to do a forensic analysis analysis on those devices to make sure that none of them were involved in the distribution of child porn. Imagine how that would impact your church if for three or four or five months, all your computers were gone. No warning. That's impactful. But what was even worse was the news uh, bulletins. You know, you would see it, the the news bulletins on TV, you would see said uh, child porn distribution leaked to church IP address, film at 11.
0: Right. <laughs> not good. <laughs> That's right. So how did that story end up resolving? Yeah.
1: Well, the church was found to be uh, not at all involved, which is good. Good. Uh And so they learned a very painful lesson because not only were they were out without all of their devices for a number of months while the FBI did their due diligence and their forensic analysis, but also they lost the trust of many in the community by the news reports that were going through. And uh, so it was painful, but they came through okay. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to fully recover. That was a few years ago, and the last I heard they haven't yet.
0: Wow. Wow. So the first one in terms of, uh, you know, security concerns, you talked about making sure that that's password protected. What else can you tell us uh, along those same lines?
1: Yeah, When you you set up Wi-Fi, you set it up with uh, what most people might think of as channels. They're actually called SSIDs, but they're the names of the Wi-Fi signal that one sees when they look for an available connection. And uh, just uh, by way of information, we usually set up three or four for every one of our church clients. Uh, one is guest and guest is only uh, connecting people to the internet. doesn't connect them to any local devices. And this is a mistake we see happen with many churches is the guest's will also connect them to all the network devices. It's important that it's it's segregated uh, or set aside so that anybody who connects to the guest network can only connect to the internet, nothing else. And again, that that connection goes through the sonic wall so that, or the firewall, so that its content is filtered. The second one we set up is staff and it's password protected, and it can connect to anything. It's as though their connection is an Ethernet cable, which gives them access to anything on the network, including the Internet. Then we also uh, often set up one that we call LayLeader, and it's similar to Guest, but it's password protected, and what it does is it protects the amount of bandwidth. It's uh, something that we can do in the firewall. So that there will be at least minimal bandwidth that's required for maybe a teacher who's teaching using streamed content on Sunday morning when the crowd is there. But it also might give them access to a printer or two. And that way, if they need to print handouts, they can do it easily. And then the fourth is media, and that's also password protected. And that gives uh, media and worship teams access the specific systems and information they need. An important takeaway here is that the guest Wi-Fi should only have access to the internet and it has to be filtered by the firewall and it should be turned off whenever it's not needed.
0: Good. No, I think that was worth repeating. (laughs) It's like rewind, listen to that again. If there's one takeaway, that's super, super important. Well, and maybe going back to something else too, Nick, that you said just made note of here. Um, You were talking about how some of the Wi-Fi channels should be password protected. We talked earlier about how important it is that leadership, uh, folks that are listening to this podcast, um, they should be setting the password policies. So what do you recommend uh, for those folks that are in that in very important responsibility?
1: Yeah, I think that um, using passwords and passphrases, passphrases are longer and more complex passwords, is an important piece of how we secure and protect the data. I recommend that the leadership set a minimum strength policy A password or passphrase could certainly be stronger, but what are the minimums? We like to require a minimum length of seven characters. Some people like to say eight, some like to say 11. Doesn't matter where you set it at, but seven is the minimum from our perspective. And that you require upper and lowercase alpha characters, numbers, and punctuation. That kind of hardening really makes a password uh, stronger. And never use names or words or dates or all of your kids or grandkids or pets initials.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask if I could use my pet, but you're saying no, huh?
1: Sorry. Uh, and uh, we like to say, consider a passphrase instead of a password. Password tells me more that it's a word rather than something more complex. But using a passphrase can really be helpful. I like to recommend that you take your favorite verse. Maybe your favorite verse is First Kings 718. I just kind of picked that verse out of it at random. And uh, so if your favorite verse is First Kings 7.18, you might make your passphrase something like uh, numeral one, small k, small i, capital N, small g, small z instead of s, and then 7 colon 18, no spacing. And uh, that is a very challenging password for somebody to break through and we won't
0: ask you to quote first Kings 718 (laughs) we'll let you
1: off the hook thank you (laughs) um so try to make it look like it's entirely random even though maybe it's not if you use something like what i just suggested then uh it'll look random but it'll be easier to remember and train users not to share their passwords um this requires structuring data that you have so that users don't need to share their passwords to facilitate the work needs of others. For instance, if I'm on your staff and I'm going on vacation or I'm out sick and somebody needs to do the work that I normally do, if they need to log in as me in order to do that, that is a strategic flaw in how the data was set up. Instead, we like to see data set up so that there are uh, structures that facilitate people having mostly private areas that others can't get to and uh, that there's also areas where, where the data for departments is shared. And that way, somebody else could log in as themselves and still access the data that's required to do the job. And here's something that is surprising. don't force do not force periodic password changes we've observed for years especially in our user communities and churches that that actually lowers security why do you think that is where do they put those new passwords
0: let me guess a sticky yeah. note yeah. On a, <laughs> a sticky note next to their computer
1: exactly <laughs> so if you force people to change their passwords periodically, then that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to put on a sticky note on their monitor that's going to be underneath their keyboard. It's going to be under their mouse pad, something like that. And uh, so we've told folks for years, for our clients, which are all churches and ministries, you know, if you never share your password with anybody, you can keep it as long as you want. Wow. Uh, just don't share your password. Now, people think that's not wise, but actually the Federal Trade Commission and a number of university studies have, uh, have recently agreed with the position that we take. Not because we take it and they're agreeing with us. It just turns out that, um, that we had accurately assessed the issue.
0: Gotcha. You're being humble, (laughs) but that's good. (laughs) Um, No, that's that's helpful, Nick, too. And maybe to piggyback off, I think that might be some surprising for some people to hear. Um, But to dig into that, too, a little bit um, in terms of passwords not needing to be shared. You also uh, were mentioning that there's a way you can structure data to do that. So can you maybe explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. When we set up data structures for our clients, for churches and ministries, uh, we give everybody a a folder that is really just theirs. We say it's mostly private because technically leadership and IT can get to it as needed as well. But uh, no other users, no standard users can get to their data in their user folder. That is not where you store data that others might need if you're on vacation and they need to do your job. So we also set up a shared data folder that everybody has access to who has access to the server and its data. And underneath that, we usually include a folder called common, and that's something everybody has access to. But then uh, we also include departmental folders, maybe like children's ministry, worship, admin, etc., and only people who work in those departments have access to those folders. In fact, others can't even see that they're there. Yeah. So users should be trained to put data others they work with in one of the shared data folders rather than keeping it in their user folder.
0: Good. Well, those are some really practical tips, Nick. And uh, I'll ask you the hardest question of all, and that is we've covered a lot (laughs) over these last couple um, podcast episodes, but I'm going to ask you the all-encompassing question of what have we missed? Is there anything else that's uh, just kind of a burning uh, while you have this opportunity? Anything else that the uh, churches who are listening ought to be doing?
1: Maybe a A few quick things, Michael. (laughs) Uh, One, make sure your email system uses a high-quality spam filter. Email spam is the most common source of malware infections. So if you're getting a lot of spam in your inbox, you might want to evaluate that and see how it can be improved. Number two, train your staff on how to recognize email threats. We all get the occasional email at least that we look at and say, I don't know if I should click on that link. And so there's a company called Know Before, and it's spelled K N O W B E 4, numeral 4. They're recognized as the best training solution for helping users identify what's acceptable and not acceptable. Basically, what happens is if you set up an account with them, um, you then tell it to periodically email everybody in your domain, in your organization, it, with, uh, with a dummy email that looks like it's legit. And anybody who clicks on a link they shouldn't have, they get put in a kind of a purgatory. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where uh, they can't get out of it unless they watch a short video that helps them understand what the threat was and why they shouldn't have clicked on that link. We um, had the privilege of negotiating a 55% discount for anyone who says that our firm, MBS, referred them. All you have to do is call their team at 855-566-9234, say you were referred in by MBS, and you'll get up to a 55% discount depending on what plan you buy, but that's huge. So training is an essential, especially because there's some spam type emails that we cannot block from coming in, like the impersonation emails saying, "Uh, hi, this is the pastor, and I need you to transfer $10,000 to this right away, or go out and buy a bunch of iTunes cards, scratch off the back and send me the numbers. That happens a lot. This will help to train them to recognize that. And then the third thing I would say is run a good anti-malware solution on every server, desktop, and notebook, Windows and Mac. Mac is as vulnerable as Windows is to getting uh, malware. It's just the most malware is not written to take advantage of the Mac. So we recommend a solution called 37.4, spelled out, 37, T-H-I-R-T-Y-S, E V E N, and then the numeral four. Their solution is very capable, and the cost for churches and ministries is real low. These guys are mostly believers, and so they really want to help the church. And then finally, make sure your mobile devices are password protected. You should have some kind of a passcode to open up the screen on your phone. It won't be as foolproof as a hardened password, but It'll slow somebody down and maybe you'll be able to get your phone back.
0: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, those are some super points just in wrap up. And and I sense I know we're coming to the end of our time. So I just want to say, Nick, thank you so much for terrific insights, really, that you've shared with us here over the last couple of episodes. This has been really, really important in protecting our churches. And trust me, we couldn't have done it without you. (laughs) I don't think I'd have even known where to begin. So.
1: Well, so glad to be help helping. And uh, we love ECFA. We love what it accomplishes and what it helps ministries and churches do. So thanks for the invitation.
0: Absolutely. Well, I know we personally have benefited from MBS. And so thank you for that. Um, And I'm thinking too, Nick, especially on this uh, part two of the podcast, we've talked about some things that are a little bit more technical, and perhaps it stirred some questions for folks, or maybe they just want to reach out to you and get some notes uh, on some of the different tips or the steps that you've outlined. So, um, you know, how do folks get in touch with you? And how do they keep up with all the great work that MBS is doing?
1: Well, thank you, Michael, for asking. And um, I'm pretty easy to reach. My email address is nick, N-I-C-K, at mbsinc.com. MBS Inc is like Mary Baker, Sam Incorporated.com. And so anybody's welcome to email me a question they have, and they're not gonna generate an invoice just from doing so. We get to a point where we need to enter a consultation arrangement, I'll stop and let them know before it gets to that point. Uh, We have a lot of free resources on our website that people may want to take advantage of. Um, I've written hundreds of articles that have been in print and most all of them are available on our website for free. And, um, as far as some of the hardware that I've mentioned, some of the solutions I've mentioned, if somebody wants to, they can even go to a um, browser folder that we've set up, and they could download our spec sheet. We don't sell hardware, we don't sell software. That's not what we do. Uh, but we've worked out great discounts because of the volume we represent uh, to these companies across the country. So instead of going to www mbsync.com you went to handouts plural handouts.mbsync.com you'll be able to download uh, our spec sheet and some other items that you might like to have access to
0: Super. Well, hey, that was well worth the price of admission <laughs> for folks. <laughs> um, but no, we in all seriousness, we do appreciate your generosity uh, in that, but also even so, in your willingness to to field some of those questions if folks have them. And one last thing that uh, just tying in here too that I want to highlight that Nick has really graciously over the years shared with us a free download that's in the ECFA Knowledge Center with a summary of church management software solution, and that's updated every year. And it's been such a great help over the years to many church leaders when they're asking about the different solutions that are out there for church management software. So all you need to do is visit ecfa.church slash knowledge center. And you can enter the search for church management software as a keyword. Or if you're lost, you can always email us at podcast at ecfa.org, and we would be happy to help with these and other resources. So that's all the time that we have for today's episode. Again, we appreciate everyone for taking the time um, just to stop, take one minute, and to rate and review the podcast, to share it with your friends, because we really want this resource to be a blessing to as many people as possible. And again, want to thank Nick Nicolau for joining us for part one and part two of this podcast and for his expertise, and then also for everyone who's taken time out to join us for this conversation. And as always, it's been so great to have you with us, and we look forward to being with you again soon for another Excellence in Church Administration podcast.